0: So uh, on the crypto side of things, specifically, we have centralized crypto exchanges acting as hubs. Like you heard the word centralized, right? I think this is very ironic that, you know, in the first iteration of decentralization, Hmm. we have to be centralized.
1: It's a pleasure for Gaurav and myself to host this episode. This is Part of our ongoing series that we began last year called Fintech Founders, we've now added a new sleeve, we've extended, you can say this is an extension funding round, we've extended ourselves to Web3, <laughs> we're still going to maintain that same theme of looking at anything to do with money and finance and how technology crosses over with money and finance, but now we're going to do it in the context of blockchain, decentralization, and all these good things that we're going to spend the next half an hour talking to Adam and Sophie uh, 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 in more detail about. Now, enough enough from me, Adam, Sophie, could you just introduce yourselves and explain who you are and why we invited you to this podcast? So maybe starting with Adam as you're the CEO of Fiat Republic.
0: Hi everybody, thanks for for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm Adam, I'm a bit of a geek in fintech and payments, been that for 15 years, Um, it's hard to, pin down the moment when like p- the payments industry became fintech all of a sudden right because <laughs> it was, wasn't called that um but uh but yeah I spent a bit of time in um working in traditional banks uh, so I worked in a transaction bank department in Raiffeisen for four years um uh emerging from Poland um, and moved to the UK in 2012 and then ever since I've been involved in alternative payment schemes you know cart payments for a retailer i was head of payments at sainsbury's uh for three years um and that you know gave me a, this broad sort of perspective on payments uh banking um, you know from different vantage points the retailers the banks the merchants uh the the acquirers right all of the pieces of that pie it all started coming together you know around 2019 when i uh, you know decided to um uh, to, to uh, become an entrepreneur. I started um, uh, my first company um, and actually ended up um, uh, at YC with it <laughs> uh, for, a short, for a short period of time. Um, and then um, emerged myself in banking as a service in 2019 uh, in autumn. Uh, and this is when I met Sophie as well. Uh, we, we joined a company called OpenPay on, literally on the same day um as the two execs over there um, and yeah we've been learning uh, about banking as a service ever since or i've been learning i guess myself because sophie knew it uh intimately by then um and uh, and yeah here we are like building a bridge between um web3 and traditional banking right now it's um that's that's what um i guess fiat republic is about
1: cool thank you for that adam and sophie
2: Yes, so, yeah, as Adam mentioned, uh, well, I started my career first in uh, in finance, but uh, soon made the uh, move into startups. Um, and after, like, spending one year of launching HelloFresh in the UK, I actually just realized that I wanted to go back to, uh, to the finance world. Um, and it's how I came about with FinTech, and that was, like, the very beginning of my steps into FinTech, but as well as banking as a service. Uh, so I spent three years at Bankable, uh, then five years at Fedor, a couple years at uh, OpenPay, and, uh, and most recently uh, founded um, Fiat Republic.
1: Thank you. Thank you, guys, for that introduction. And you've set up a little bit about the backstory of Fiat Republic. You've already talked about banking as a service. And let's dive in a little bit more into what Fiat Republic is and where did you get the idea for Fiat Republic uh, to start with? Like, what was the Eureka moment, Adam? And tell us a little bit about the origin story. Sure. Yeah, so um,
0: it's it's, 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 a, it's a funny one, actually. So I've been um, involved in one way or another in crypto ever since 2017, the second Bitcoin boom. I guess that's what the event is called by many industry observers. Um, invested a lot, uh, you know, before... Uh, Bitcoin peaked out in December 2017 uh, and then uh, sold it. So make quite a bit of money, but then bought it <laughs> when it was still <laughs> like midway through the, that sort of falling from the peak. And then obviously it fell all the way to $3,000 for Bitcoin uh, in I think 2018, mid, mid year. So yeah, lost some money, made some money. Um, and that's how I learned to trade <laughs> in in this specific aspect. <laughs> whilst um, whilst trading, uh, I started reading up uh, on on different um, you know projects and and and, and uh, different blockchains. And there's so many of them now. You look at you know Coin Market Cap. There's thousands of tokens. Like it's it's really sometimes it can be overwhelming. Um, but uh, but but the kind of the the key. Um, you know, uh, 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 let's say old school tokens are still there. Bitcoin, which seems to be taking this role of a reserve currency um, uh, of, of, of the entire crypto ecosystem. And then Ethereum, which is which is inspiring a lot of innovation, um, you know, with, with its uh, smart contracts um, uh, uh, concept, right? So that's when I got into crypto. Now, when it just coincided that I was um, moving into banking as a service, so like banking through APIs, right, it was like abstracting the complexity of having to integrate to multiple banks um, and, and making it developer friendly for any organization to integrate uh to a you know embedded banking infrastructure right and those two things uh when 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 i was looking at both the crypto industry and the banking and service industry which was emerging in 2019 it was literally just like you know rails bank we're still trying to figure out what they're doing <laughs> you know currency cloud we're just you know, we're, we're just after their their um, their their uh, their uh, significant growth spurt, right? And 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 uh, finding product market fit. It was still a bit like in in flux, a bit all over the place, right? But what we saw, or what I saw in 2019 in particular, one sort of milestone event, um, uh, which defined a lot what we're doing here at Fiat Republic, uh, Coinbase getting dropped by Barclays. OK, that it seems to have triggered a bit of a shockwave after that, you know, because because people are looking up to Coinbase or we're looking up and still are looking up to Coinbase as this golden boy of the uh, crypto industry. Uh, right. And, and if they can be treated by a traditional bank like that, then what about all of those other crypto exchanges? What about all of those other, you know, uh, uh, crypto native businesses, decentralized businesses? Right. Like, I don't even talk about that because it's, you know, for, for a banker. To even comprehend what's what's going on outside of the crypto, uh, you know, outside of the centralized crypto exchange, right? Which is already something a known known, right? It's 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 established. It is really hard. It is just because it's so complex. It's so multifaceted. It is by its own nature decentralized, right? So it's it's really hard to get the information from one place. That's what the decentralization, um, you know, causes. So I had, you know, fast forward to 2021 uh, June, uh, you know, having spent a bit of time in banking service uh, at OpenPay, you know, looking at different kinds of use cases, you know, uh, lenders, e-commerce, marketplaces, crypto as well, right? Um, I'm like, well, look, this needs a bridge. There's an obvious uh, need for someone to kind of come in and really make peace between those two worlds, right? Make them talk to one another because they don't really understand each other. The, the, you know, the bankers don't understand crypto. Cryptos are intimidated by the banking industry. They know they need it. They know they need it. They know that without it, without working with it, they can go nowhere because for Web3, you need fiat, right? You need the traditional, that's the entry point. But no one is doing this translation service. This this kind of you know, understanding where both sides are coming from and trying using technology, using data, trying to find common ground and, and, and build that bridge. So this was a, you know, long story short uh, to, to summarize, it was a bit of a shower conversation for myself uh, to kind of, uh, you know, look at all of those pieces that I observed, um, you know, in, in um, banking as a service, but in, in crypto as a crypto trader and just Put them together, developed this comprehensive systemic solution for what I believed at the time was a massive systemic problem. Um, and then, you know, we iterated on the on the idea together. We came up with uh, a very strong value proposition, which is super super defensible, we believe, um, because it's 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 it's, tar- it's tackling the problem from multiple sides, right? It's not just an aggregation play. It's not just a compliance play. It, it's not just a, a supplier of a service, it's, it's beyond that. And we, we can expand on that as, 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 we, as we do this. But, but yeah, that is the, really the, the origin story uh, of Fiat Republic.
1: Cool. Uh, Adam, you've thrown out quite a few terms there. Obviously you've given us the crypto background, the, the Coinbase moment, but maybe Sophie, we could take this just abstraction layer higher. And you've done a lot in banking as a service. But can, can I call it the traditional financial or whatever? Uh, let's say you you've can done a call lot it Banking
2: as a Service and you call us Fiat as a Service. And I'm fine with that.
1: So before <laughs> we get back into Fiat Republic and what you do, Fiat as a Service, could we just spend a little bit of time like just abs- talking about what Banking as a Service is? I know you've done a lot on this space already. So for the audience who are listening going, I think I understand crypto, but whatever but they're also thinking maybe what is a service what does that mean could you just explain what banking a service is in very simple layperson's terms
2: yeah no absolutely <clears throat> sorry so banking as a service is really giving the ability to any company to uh, offer financial services to their end users or to leverage it for their own treasury operations from an integrated perspective so like integrated in into their systems and, make, and then like creating flows either for their end users or for their own treasury operations. It's as simple as that. When it got, it's more complicated, um, and just let me touch upon it is when basically you go from one segment to another, because like you have a multitude of banking assets provider right now. That actually caters for different uh, segments. So, like back in the days at OpenPay, I was uh, sorry, at Bankable, I was helping uh, fintechs launch neobanks. At Fidor, I was helping banks launch neobanks. And it was a totally different business, right? But both were co- called banking as a service. So it's very important to understand that. And you have also different layers of uh, banking as service providers. You have the ones that are pure tech play um for example modern treasury which is getting quite a lot of traction in the uh, mm. us um and you have like the the place with uh licenses and for example modular would be uh, one example so you really like have different setups that caters to different use cases or business segments
1: and i want to dig into fiat republic a bit more but maybe we get Garov into the conversation so he can lead the sort of lead the questioning, now we're talking more about the business and the micro, because he's our, he's our operational guy, I'm here for the big picture.
2: Thanks,
3: thanks a lot Ronit. It's, it's a pleasure to meet both of you and this conversation's already extremely interesting. I think Ronit, we're gonna have to have a second session on this really, it's, it's there's so much depth to cover, but coming back to the conversation very quickly, you know, fiat Republic, you know, being the fiat rails essentially offering services for people as the bridge between what is essentially the, the, the traditional world of banking and services with banking and the new world as we see it today and all the other extended versions of, of services, different people and different businesses can avail of in the, you know, in, in the web three platforms that are coming out with crypto rails attached to it how much do you guys face obstacles with, with regulation? Because where you're sitting, right, you're working between very heavily regulated institutions and institutions that operate, dare I say it, in a gray zone, right? Because Mm -hmm. the majority of people from critical mass of adoption to really happen is 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 key for not only your success, but for Web3's success, right? Uh, to be quite honest, uh, and Fiat Republic seems to be a very key part to this. So how do you navigate the regulation part? Are you guys Delaware set up? Are you somewhere more crypto-friendly set up? Tell us, uh, tell us about the mechanics of what regulation you guys have today and what you're working towards tomorrow so that people really understand the legitimacy and security, which you guys, given both your backgrounds, have obviously taken into account to do this, and then we can get into products afterwards, but I think that's key.
0: Sure, yeah, I can, I can yeah, take it, uh, Sophie will probably, probably have a couple of things to add, I'm sure, as well, but um, look, I think regulation is interesting, right, we're in an interesting junction, because mm-hmm. stuff is not really regulated on the crypto side, right, there is... Just very rudimentary, like the AML five in Europe. The implementations across all the European um, uh, countries, which introduced, uh, you know, a bit more controls around how uh, you know to protect uh, the financial ecosystem, protect the consumer as well from bad actors um, who launder money, who you know, terrorist financing, all of that, you know, really, really bad stuff. That is the basic stuff, right? the The problem is regulators. Uh, around the world are not really sure how to tackle crypto they, they don't under, like it comes from many there's many reasons for that uh, one is they don't really understand what are the different crypto business models right second is they don't really know how do they fit into the traditional finance which is as, as you said highly mature highly regulated I would even say saturated Right Correct. in terms of uh, in terms of like how many people are getting regulated and you know how many companies are trying to play in this space, trying to get a share of the pie. So we have taken this deliberate approach that to enable the banks to understand crypto and crypto to appreciate where the where, where the banks are coming from when they're throwing all sorts of controls at them just to get access to an IBAN. Right, we need to be in the middle. But actually, anchored in the traditional finance regulation, right? So that's why what we're doing is we're pursuing e-money, uh, like we're taking advantage of the e-money uh, regime in Europe and the UK. Um, obviously, they're now set. The European Union and UK is separate, so we had to go for a UK e-money license and a EU e-money license. We've chosen a very uh, a robust, mature, at the same time, um, you know, flexible uh, jurisdiction. In the Netherlands, for oh. um, for the for the EU, um, and we intend to do a lot of business through that uh, jurisdiction. We intend to obviously passport the license to the the rest of the European Union. The license from the DNB, the you know uh, Dutch central bank, it has. A lot of prestige attached to it attached to it because the dutch have managed to balance out the as i said the flexibility with really like long legacy of international trade doing it properly doing it by the rules right so it's a good it's a good jurisdiction f- for that matter so our role is also to uh, educate the crypto uh, industry on the traditional finance and like what the traditional finance ecosystem expects from uh, the crypto industry touching upon the traditional finance ecosystem when they need those services when they need banking services, when they need payments to be processed right from a consumer perspective it's it's, also, it's always um, very easy to sort of internalize if you're kind of going through a consumer. Um, uh, uh, consumer journey um, what it boils down to is essentially. I don't want, to, as an individual consumer, I don't want to have my transaction topping up my fiat account at Coinbase stopped for seven days, and I'm waiting for my own money to appear yes. somewhere and just pop in, right? It's like, Perfect. oh, you can trade, right? I don't Perfect. want that to be stopped.
2: I'll come back to your original bank. Or
0: <laughs> get to, to, to my bank at HSBC. Bless them, I like them, right? Uh, right? Because... Because HSBC and the party that it reached in the sort of traditional finance ecosystem doesn't have enough data about this transaction, doesn't know who I am and doesn't know what I'm trying to do with my money, right? That is the stupid reason for for disintermediation from a new emerging market. That is really a stupid reason. That's why the bridge is needed. That's why the transparency of what I'm trying to do, like let's say I'm a dentist investing in crypto for the first time. Why would you stop my 10,000 10, euros deposit into Coinbase? Why? You know, I'm just trying to buy Bitcoin. I'm trying to see it appreciate. I'm going to cash out. I'm going to pay my tax, right? Um, and then, you know, all is, all is clear. All is very transparent. But the bank doesn't know what's going on especially the one that is um, involved in sourcing um, or reconciling the transaction on the cryptocurrency exchange, the one that is working with the cryptocurrency exchange. They have no clue, no idea, no data to establish what is Adam trying to do and why all of a sudden there's 10,000 pounds on this IBAN. They don't, Perfect.
3: don't have Adam. Perfect, and and that's that's an excellent, excellent uh, walkthrough to my next question, which is, um, Sophie, you know, Uh, Looking at the product development that you're going to be servicing to enable to close these gaps that people want at different levels, whether it's consumers and businesses, right? You both, you know, together, I'm sure, have developed a very robust 18-month product roadmap, which you want to deliver and enable in different geographies, right? We have to be careful about this. Even though Web3 is international... You're going to be moving to geographies and certain locations to start with to to do it. You know, it'd be a dream to do this all internationally, all at the same time, simultaneously. But we know it's going to take a little bit of time. So with that use case you just talked about, Adam, so can you tell us about where you are in your product development? What are you focusing on in the very short term and near term? And then sort of give us a glimpse at the end of where you see it all being, you know, towards the end of your product roadmap, which will keep developing, but maybe the long-term picture. So give us a glimpse of that if you don't mind, please.
2: Yeah, so I will start with the end, actually.
3: Oh, right, <laughs> okay, wow, that's, yeah, okay, go for it, go for it, yeah. No,
2: but the grand vision to explain you where we are in realizing it. So mm. we, we will be the only API crypto platforms web-free will ever meet. So we, Basically, uh, as a first step, an aggregator, a banking aggregator of crypto-friendly banks and banks that we are helping become crypto-friendly by providing them the data they need to actually understand the crypto flows and be comfortable with them. So that's the first thing. And we are doing that across geographies. So like right now, we are live uh, in, uh, in Europe with Euro GDP. Very soon, we will be live with USD. Uh, we will uh, just have to be live with CAD and then we will have FX so that's really like a, a good baseline already to uh to to service uh well crypto platforms that actually want to maybe are in the US and wants to go in europe uh, that are in europe and actually wants to serve uh, rest of the world customers in uh, in uh, in USD and be able to buy for example their their um, their uh cryptocurrency from another exchange so that's really like where we are um right now um in the future we will keep on adding up new uh new rates um and so we are like uh, this is really being driven by our members so that's part of like the consortium maybe we, we discuss later but really based on on what they need so we are looking at geographies such as like uh, Asia, uh, Africa, LATAM, um, and we will prioritize based on the partnerships that we we find in uh, in those geographies. And uh, yeah, where are the best partners? So that's really the first part. The second part is really like the uh, the, the compliance plane, right? The compliance first uh, platform that that we are building. So Adam has talked about this common language that we are trying to, uh, to create. And this common language starts with data. And it starts with gathering data that really enables the banks to understand what's going on on-ramp, on on-chain, off-ramp. Um, we are at the beginning of this uh, journey uh, as well. We um, have selected our providers. Like in the next few months, we will be uh, releasing the, the first version of that. And the idea is to go and convince not only the crypto friendly banks, but the ones that are not crypto friendly uh, yet, but whose board has said, look, guys, figure out a way to serve crypto platforms, right? Um, uh, and like, according to, to what we see right now in the, the partnership, we are progressing like this data first approach and really educating and enabling bankers to really understand what's going on in those flows. Seems to be a relevant, um, relevant approach. So that's the second step of our proposition. The last step is uh, is the consortium, and I will hand that over to Adam because that's uh, that's uh, all his um, his vision, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's all mm-hmm. of ours yeah. vision yeah. By, by this time. But it's it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really you know, it's like Sophie already <laughs> talked about. Like, first stage is to get the crypto friendly banks together, right? Second stage. Is using compliance as an element of persuasion mm-hmm. to uh, and the data transparency to convince the big players because like one one thing um, you know I always say at this point is um, uh, right now the 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 uh, you know the banks that are servicing crypto flows tend to be tier twos tier threes tier fours that uh, not many people have heard of with all respect. <laughs> right? What that means is they have. Not commercially commercially big balance sheets. So if something goes wrong, that can sometimes go all the way up to a really dark scenario of a country going bankrupt, right? Because some of those banks happen to be really big retail brand brands in really small countries, right? But what that translates to is their deposits which is their cash flow, are coming from a retail population of 600,000 people, right? So you put that aside and then contrast that with, you know, what Binance is doing per day, which is 20 billion dollars, right? Uh, it's, it's a ticking bomb. You know, I, I'm going to be very blunt. It's a ticking bomb. Like, and that's why, that's why the big guys, the big guys, the c- cities, the Santander's, the uh, JP Morgans, they need to start playing ball because if they don't, we are potentially heading for a very unexpected, uh, abrupt crisis um, at some point, you know, and at some point something's gonna blow up. I just don't know what that is yet, right? So they need to start moving. They are moving, they're interested and they, they want to want to move into that space, we are here to convince them. We are here to give them the safety net, yeah. to give them the sustainable way to take on crypto flows, right? That is our value proposition to the banks. And that's really the second phase, to attract those bigger players on the banking side, to say, okay, I can, I can, I can trade 50 million euros for uh, $60 million for Coinbase. It's fine, you know, it's, it's money for me, it is safe. Right. Uh, because fiat public makes sure that it's safe. Right. Um, and, and I'm participating in marketplace. I'm, I'm, you know, not missing out on a massive opportunity here. Right. Because my you know, risk approach often is or my risk policy is based on some on things that I don't know, rather than the things that I know. I don't know a lot about crypto. Right. That's how those bank policies are being formulated, um, you know, whether we like it or not. And then the consortium is really wrapping all together. It's a bit of a political play, focusing on the crypto uh, uh, um, uh, platforms to really have help them level up, right? To really build this unified voice where there, it's not you know Coinbase arguing with Kraken in front of the regulator, right? Which doesn't help. You know Kraken arguing with Bitstamp in front of a bank. Right, each one of them trying to win over that bank because they really need it, right? That's not helping the crypto industry. So we need to unify the voice of the crypto industry. Yeah. We also I, we yeah, also need to voice help. Though.
3: Yeah. Sure. I, going. I think we had a we had a, we had a point at which Libra was really trying to lead the way, but it was more self-serving, Absolutely. right? So yeah. I think you take a lot of lessons learned from Libra. I think you have to look at projects like uh, MasterCards, uh, open API banking, uh, which, you know, which actually is very inclusive. Um, you're smiling, so you're talking to the guys at MasterCard clearly. Um, so, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, one, one element of the consortium, you know, obviously it has its momentum and pace. And before I hand back to, to Ronan um, to close, because I think we're running out of time, so we're stretching as much as possible here. Um, one question I have to ask is: is whenever I look at a business or an idea or a thought process, especially especially in what you're trying to do, a bridge between two worlds, effectively bringing them closer, communities, activations, because there's a there's a genuine need, and it's only going to grow, right? We saw what happened with people denying Web two. We know what's happening with Web three. We can't even touch upon that in this conversation. There's a 200 page report that's out there, written by some good friends of ours on this call. I don't know who they are. Uh-huh. That guy there. Um, and so, you know, there's so much to do, but people are a huge underlying process to this. And we're in such a young industry. I know you said Bitcoin is an old currency. That in itself is a crazy thing to say, right? Because it's so young in terms of any currency that's ever been out there in our existence. But looking from that point of view, how are you recruiting people? Are you getting people from the you know, traditional banking system to be on your boards or advisory? Are you, are you getting them to be a part of your uh, product stack, development stack? You know, what is, what is your ability to actually scale your company? Are you finding you've got, sorry, we're overwhelmed. We've got 10,000 applicants for all our jobs. Are you guys finding it difficult? I'd love to hear a little bit about that, please.
0: Yeah, so um, it's, it's a good question. I think, um, uh, you know, w- for this to work, you need to pull people from from the crypto side and you need to pull people from the traditional finance side right because right. the bridge actually, that's what the banks need to start doing right bringing people that understand crypto that's what the cryptos need to start doing bringing bank banking and and anyone that wants to try and play the bridge in between needs to be able to attract both of those sides that's why you know we're, we're a bit of a hybrid you know we call ourselves web 2.5. <laughs> if you don't, I, put, want,
2: you them you that? I want that. You got
3: want that. Who gave you that, you that right idea, now? Sophie? Who gave <laughs> you that <exactly> idea? <laughs> right now. And if you guys don't patent that or copyright that, you guys. We, did. T- 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 we did.
1: We did. We You know who gave them the idea? It's right Just it goes in the record. This is being recorded. Just so it goes in the record. i
3: two point five. I told you I would give you the cheers. Credit You're listening to this on your
1: Spotify, Apple, <laughs> Google guys, but, podcast but, of choice. But let you got the T-shirt just, as well. Look I need to
2: send you the T-shirt. I will. So write. Say, Where is my T-shirt? <laughs> Where's my? I mean,
3: Oh, I, like, like, I don't know. I don't have the web, oh no, she actually no, has the uh. But, but uh, tell but us just, guys, what does your team look like today and so how are you Twenty, twenty three people uh,
0: distributed um, right now, so like it's quite remarkable, actually we're a ten month company, we're already twenty three, it's, it's quite, you know, it's a testament to our brilliant CTO co-founder who managed to hire twelve uh, developers in two months, really good ones. <laughs> There's a good dynamic going on there. So we're, we're split between UK, London, uh, and Poland right now in terms of where we're heaviest in terms of number of employees. Uh, we're further because we're going for that really solid presence in the Netherlands. We're going to be uh, hiring people there, um, uh, you know, substantial amount of people actually. Um, and then uh, Toronto in Canada as well is, 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 is a location of, of choice for us. Uh, where um, a part of our tech or development team is going to sit. Um, so, um, so as you can see, a lot of distribution, um, uh, but, uh, but in terms of attracting talent, we found that, you know, getting people from the traditional finance world, getting people that understand crypto, although they might not be experts, um, we're managing, right? It's not like we're running out of options and, and, and need to go, um, you know, uh, super extra mile to find good people. Somehow we managed to find and, and, and get together, um, you know, with great people organically. So so that's and great.
2: We, we offer them the extra perk of <laughs> Friday crypto trading session with Adam. <laughs> so. <laughs> All <laughs> well, the company can become day traders by joining. our... not official
0: investment uh, advice. Uh, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm not giving official, uh, you know, formal investment advice because I'm not qualified for that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you wanted that to go out on Spotify and everything else, more as an officially long statement. But run it. Thank you guys so much. Run it back to you. So unfortunately, I think we're yeah we're, we're
1: at we're out of time. But maybe just to wrap up the whole conversation. Uh, with a big picture question for Adam, just to like just pull it all together. You talked about decentralization in terms of, you know, obviously, your company has been built uh, to in the sort of hopefully the latter, latter half of the pandemic, the underlying crypto economy, Adam, that you got really interested in is, of course, built on decentralization. Where do you think we are, Adam, in that spectrum of decentralization versus centralization in financial services, as you look out, not not today so much, but the next three to five years, are we still going to be a very centralized financial system, do you think, or are we going to slowly move along the spectrum towards decentralization? I'm just curious to think of your big picture thoughts on, effectively, it's another way of asking broader mass market institutionalization of crypto, I guess, is an easy way to ask that question.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great question and, and many people are asking that question right it's like uh, you know uh, I ask myself, uh, you know what was actually going on, where we are right now. Yeah. Is, um, is the very beginning I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, diffusion of innovation uh, there's there's like a theory. Uh, tell us somewhere. tell us yeah there's the um I, I think this is harvard business school so i, I don't want to quote verbatim because they're gonna you know <laughs> they're, gonna sue me. This podcast they're, they're gonna like sue me say. but 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 um
3: uh there's um, yeah they, they
1: probably care more about copyright than i do oral <laughs> oral messages and surfing
3: there's a few t-shirts they'll be fine there's the uh, yeah i know
0: there's the innovators right or at the beginning early yeah. adopters right yeah. early majority yeah late majority and then mainstream right yeah. that's the stages i think in crypto we're, we're we're at a stage of innovators trying to attract the early adopters right i think um, with that early yeah, I think we're that early in terms right. of um, in terms of uh, uh, you know just looking at crypto because crypto like many people confuse metaverse crypto oh this is the sure. same no yeah, uh, yeah. we know uh, <laughs> it's not um, uh, but crypto we
2: like metaverse it's just we, we love it
0: it's just that you need to appreciate these are two different worlds right yeah um, yeah yeah uh, JPEG with a monkey is different from a fungible token that you can you know you can pay with right it's a very different thing <laughs> so. Very. Um, so, uh, on the crypto side of things specifically, we have centralized crypto exchanges acting as hubs. Like, you heard the word centralized, right? I think this is very ironic that you know, in the first iteration of decentralization, mm. we have to be centralized, yeah, right? We have to have those hubs where yeah. people go see. Yeah, I think exactly. Binance called
1: it C DeFi, centralized DeFi.
0: And, and say that we are here to buy yeah. Bitcoin, but you you know us. This is my KYC, this is my bank, uh, you know, yeah. it's all in one place, it's centralized, right? Yeah. It, it's funny, it's it's very ironic. I think the next iteration, uh, I see a lot of potential stable coins, actually, uh, mm-hmm. on the decentralization uh side of things. It's, it's so
1: not just you know, as a on and off ramp for trading crypto. No, or something no. I, I something see, I see socially that, more useful than that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see this as a way into crypto and way back from crypto, but also yeah. as a way to build a payment system, right? right. That could be could have elements of decentralization baked into it. But yeah. at the ends of it, it's, it's almost like there's there's the the middle of it, the, the the you know when money is in like is in transfer or is is on the on its way from. US to Sri Lanka, right? But on the both um, ends of that transaction, there's gonna be ha- have to be a centralized process to make sure that both sides of the transaction understand what's going on, right? So decentralization and also blockchain specifically and digital ID that I believe mm-hmm. really strongly blockchain is made for, okay? Uh, that's gonna help with, uh, again ironically with increasing the adoption of uh, an offshot of crypto which is a stable coin uh um uh ecosystem Stablecoin today if done properly if there are you know willing partners on bo- again on both sides of the transaction right uh can replace swift 100% today right it's just you'd need on those again on those two sides or like the beginning and end of the transaction, you need oh. anchors. You need financial, traditional financial institutions that understand what's traveling through the protocol, right? And are intercepting data, are, are learning uh, about the customer, are keeping their KYC controls, are keeping their AML controls. But the protocol, the stablecoin rails, is this is ready. It's ready. It can do this. It can go. Uh, it can scale to trillions of transactions per day. It's ready. Infrastructurally, right? So, so that's that's where I really see um, it's like a couple of paradoxes here, but um, um, fiat is going to be a very important point for years to come uh, of entry into crypto, right? So, um, so that's why the next ten years I believe were Web two point five, Web three native companies are going to be still on the sort of the axis of diffusion of innovation, still on the innovators trying to attract early adopters, really work night and day there's really amazing developers solving tough problems uh, uh behind the scenes just no one knows about them right because they haven't seen they haven't marketed that solution anywhere uh they haven't succeeded in like uh, initial pilot use cases right mm-hmm. and they haven't gath- haven't gathered uh, you know critical mass yet but that's bound to happen eventually i just think the cadence like we're looking 10 years of pretty much the same uh, pace of
1: of progression
0: towards decentralization.
1: So we've got a a decade of web two and a half ahead as we move on the path towards decentralization. Uh, There are so many more questions that you've raised in these last three or four minutes, including the imminent replacement of Swift, which I'm sure lots and lots of bankers, if they are listening to this, I don't know if they are. will have so many questions about but we just have no time because we've already gone about 10 minutes over. So I think let's draw this to a close and maybe we can invite you back to talk about the future of finance uh, another time. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much, Sophie. And for zooming in today from Sweden, unusually. Uh, So we're doing this between uh, (laughs) at least three different
3: locations today. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you you, guys. guys.